Well, I want to invite you to uh, turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. And this morning we're going to talk about uh, rewards, the ultimate payoff for service. We'll be in two passages, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, and 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we just want to say thank you for your amazing goodness to us in preparing a place for us in our eternal future. Lord, as we explore that this morning, I pray that you would, you would lead us, that you would teach us. We welcome your illumining ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our final week in our series on, uh, on learning how to serve as Jesus served. And this morning, I want to talk about this issue of rewards. Now, um, as all of you know, we are really into halls of fame. And if you've not been to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, I have not. People have gone there, have told me it's, it's amazing. And uh, they especially love some of the real old timers. You've got guys at the Hall of Fame like Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth. And then Christy Mathewson and Hannes Wagner. If you've got the Hannes Wagner card, which I don't, I mean, it's like worth zillions of dollars. Uh, but the, the Hall of Fame is an amazing place to go. And we, we love halls of fame. You may, may know that the uh, class of 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame, they uh, were honored the day before the Super Bowl and then honored again at the Super Bowl. And if you think, how cool is that to have your life work recognized at this massively important venue like the Super Bowl? And so we've got the Football Hall of Fame. And then there are all these other halls of fame out there these days. We have a curling hall of fame. We have a caddy hall of fame. I used to caddy when I was a kid. I, I, I promise you I will never be in the caddy hall of fame. Uh, there's a cricket hall of fame. There is a cowgirl hall of fame. And one of the more interesting ones, there is the National Polish American Sports Hall of Fame. Now we're getting to some really niche halls of fame. There are walks of fame that are niche-type walks of, walks of fame and halls of fame. Well, we, we human beings, we love to honor human achievement. I sometimes will watch things like Britain's Got Talent or Americans Got, Got Talent. You see these phenomenally gifted people doing these astonishing things. And we love to award and reward human achievement. God loves to do the same thing. And the place at which he does this is an event called the Judgment Seat of Christ. Now, here's the amazing thing about this event called the Judgment Seat of Christ. Our lives are so incredibly short. Even if you live 75, 85, 95 years, what is that in comparison to eternity? It is a flicker. It is a flash. It is a spark. And yet the God of the universe loves to look down upon those who are believers in Jesus Christ and reward them for things that they have done in service to him. Little brief things, even brief things. And God loves to give us rewards that last for eternity. Now, I'm really excited about this because I realize that some of you, this idea of rewards is a completely new idea. You've never heard of it. You've never thought about it. I'm excited because this is a life-challenging topic. 
Others of you who have heard about this, you, you don't know how to apply it. You think, okay, well, that's way out there, and I'm here, and this is earth, and this is tangible, but that's way out there, and how do I even relate to what happens when I'm rewarded? I don't, I don't get that. Others of you have heard about this, and it's confusing. So I want to make it as clear as I can, and I think you will come away really excited about what God has in store for you with your service to him. I want to start with the event. Every believer of Jesus Christ has a personal appointment with the resurrected Christ. And this is mentioned two times in the writings of Paul. It's mentioned in uh, Romans 14.10 and in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, when Paul said this, he used a word for judgment seat called bema, B-E-M-A. And when Greek-speaking people heard that, they got an immediate visual picture in their mind. Look, if I say the, the, the word to you, amusement park, you have a visual, tangible picture. If I say the word to you, ski hill, you have a tangible picture. If I say the word to you, judge's bench, you have a tangible picture. Everybody who heard this got a tangible picture because uh, in the ancient world, bema seats or judgment seats were erected for three reasons. Number one, they were, they were, they were erected at the end of athletic contests. You know, sports were huge in the ancient world. You had the Olympic Games, you had the Isthmian Games, and people competed in those games. And just like we have scandals in our Olympic Games, they had scandals in their Olympic Games. And so if you won an event, you would stand before the judgment seat and you would be queried, interrogated. Did you compete according to the rules? Yes, I did. Okay, great. You get your award for a job well done. These uh, judgment seats were also set up on athletic field, on, on battlefields. Let's say you have a... a Terrible battle has taken place. You have dead soldiers in the field. The victorious army would scoop up all the, the spoils of war and present them before the general, and then the general would pass out rewards for well-done exploits in battle. And then they were set up in city squares. And so here you have on the screens the city of Corinth, uh, the ruins of the city of Corinth, and here is the judgment seat that was a permanent fixture in Corinth. And many times people would stand up on the judgment seat and they would render judgment about something that had happened in the city, or they would give out rewards for citizens who had done some amazing things. In Corinth today, you even got the name written on the judgment seat, the Bema. Everybody who heard Paul talk about this realized, got it, I understand what it is you're talking about. But is it a little intimidating to have God evaluate you? The judgment seat of God. Does that sound a little intimidating? Yeah. So Paul specifies a little bit more in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans 14 verse 10, it's the judgment seat of God. In this passage, it's the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good 
or, <clears throat> or evil. Okay, <clears throat> so this is a bit confusing, right? Because if you are thinking biblically about this, you think, wait a second, I thought Jesus said, I'm not going to be judged. And now you're saying, I am going to be judged. So, like, what is that all about? Well, that is true. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So this is a little, a little bit confusing. Let me explain it. The issue with the judgment seat of Christ is not sin. The issue with the judgment seat of Christ is service. It is true. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he permanently put that sin away. As far as the east is from the west, he has separated your sin from you. If your sin was represented by a big pile of darkness and pain, the God of the universe has swept that away through the work that Jesus did on the cross. You will bypass judgment, John 5, 24, for sin. But you will encounter the judgment seat of Christ for service. And the question is, how did you serve Jesus from the time of your salvation to the time of your entry into heaven? So let's think about the person doing the judging. If it's Jesus, what is he like? Is he going to be fair? Yes. He's the one who's full of grace and truth. He's going to be really fair. Is he going to be, shame you, make you feel small? Is he going to say, you bad Christian, you bad Christian, I saved you to serve me. You've been a bad servant, a bad Christian. Shame on you. Is he going to do that? No. No, Jesus Christ took all of your shame on the cross so that you can be released from shame and guilt and so that you could confidently say, God will never be mad at me for anything that I've done because God was already mad at his son. His son took the hit for my moral badness. Therefore, God looks at me the way he looks at his son, Jesus Christ. You will never enter into, into judgment. But you will be assessed for your service, and Jesus will be full of mercy when he does that. So let's get more specific about what's going to happen to you when you, when you die so that you can, you can see what is in store. And I'm, I'm not going to give you everything, but I'm going to give you some of the important things. And let's just, let's just take a look at it. The first event is that when you die, you will bypass death. What does that mean? I want you to imagine that it, it's your child's birthday. And you are in the dining area of your house. You're enjoying a, a nice, wonderful meal when all of a sudden the doorbell rings. It's the UPS man. So you get up from your place in the dining area and you walk into the entry area of your house and you open the door to get the package. What have you done? You've gone from one venue, dining area, into another venue, the entry hall. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, right? The you that was in the dining area is the same you that is in the entry hall. And in the same way, when you die, you're going to move from one venue into another venue, the venue of, of life into the venue of the afterlife that God has for you. The same you that was there is going to be the same you that's in the new place. 
and you're going to bypass death in the sense that you're not going to be crushed and broken and harmed and scared and lonely and destroyed. No, the, the you that was here in Christ is going to be the you that's over, over here in Christ. You will bypass death. That's what, John, that's what Jesus said in John, in John 8, 58. You won't see death. That's amazing. Well, then the next thing that happens is that you will experience victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, death is swallowed up in victory. It almost seems like Paul said that wrong. It's, it seems like, like our life is swallowed up into death. He didn't say that. No, imagine that I have a big, ugly, jagged rock, and I want to get rid of this rock. And so I throw this rock into Copan Lake, and the rock splashes into that lake and sinks to the bottom like a stone. What's happened? Well, the stone was swallowed up by the lake. And, and what happens in when, when you go to heaven is it's like my finite life was not destroyed by death. No, as a follower of Jesus, I get into heaven and I'm conscious of victory. Yes, I'm here. This is amazing. This is all new. It's fantastic. Death is swallowed up into victory. A third event, angels will escort you to heaven. In Luke 16, 22, this poor man, Lazarus, has died. He's been eating scraps off the rich man's table. He dies and he goes to heaven. And who accompanies this poor soul to heaven? Uh, angels do. Angels do. Jesus says that the poor man died and he was carried to heaven by angels. And he goes to a place called Abraham's side. So you will... You will die at the end of your days, and it's not as if you're going to be in a dark, lonely place and you're wondering, what's, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening to me? Uh-uh. Angels are going to show up at your side. Hey, we're here. We're here. We're here to escort you to a place where there are people. Abraham's side is a place where there's people, where there is relationships, and there are people there who are excited to see you. And there you are, escorted up into heaven where you will be reunited with people that you love forever. And then the next event, you will receive a resurrection body. Um, this is the body that, this is what Paul, how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. He says, what is sown, that is our natural body, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is a spiritual body. You will get into heaven and you will begin to think like, wow, this body that I have, it's, it's amazing. Like I feel the power in the muscles. I, I, I wonder what I can do with this. You've got these emotions that are loaded into your brain that come from your new resurrected emotions. And you've got the ability to emote with power, emote with joy, emote with the absence of anxiety. Resurrection body that, that is yours to use forever, allowing you to have power in a beautiful place. The fifth event is you will stand in the presence of Jesus' glory. That comes from Jude 24. Now to him who is able to make you stand in the presence of 
of his glory. Now, anybody in the ancient world who heard this would say, uh, that wouldn't work in the ancient world. If you're in the presence of a king, you don't stand, you bow. If you're in the presence of an angry king, you don't stand, you're on your face in fear. And yet standing before the king of the universe, you were able to stand. In fact, Jude 24 says he is able to make you stand. You are standing with dignity. You are standing with with position and place and honor and authority. You're standing in the presence of the king. And then comes the sixth event. You will receive reward. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Our treasures on earth are tangible. We quantify them in terms of the value of our house or how much money is in the bank account or how much stuff we have in our attic or our safe deposit box. And just as the stuff we have on earth is tangible and physical, the reward we will have in heaven is tangible and physical. I, as you know, I love to read Navy SEAL books, and I'm, I'm, I've got a problem now because I go to Audible, to, and I, I type in Navy SEAL, and it says, in your library, in your library, in your library, in your library. I've, I've, I've read them all except the romance novels, which I don't, I don't read romance novels, okay? So I've, I've, I've read them all. But one of the ones I read was really interesting. This guy goes through uh, buds, and he gets his, his, his trident. He goes through SEAL qualification training. And when he's done with that, he goes into a locker room, and there in the, in the, in the locker room is a pallet of stuff. And his, his boss says, that's, that's yours. And he thinks, this is amazing. It's got high-tech scuba gear. It's got high-tech camping gear. It's got high-tech weaponry that I can use. It's got, it's got high-tech running gear and swimming gear and all the things that he was trained to do. Now he's got it, and it's physically there for him to use as a Navy SEAL. You're going to have that same thing happen to you. You're going to stand before Jesus, and you're going to say, Jesus, what's that, what's that pallet of stuff over there? That, that's, that's your reward in heaven. That's, that's, that's the treasure. Well, like what's there? Well, look at it. And it's things that you can use with your new resurrection body to have influence in heaven for eternity. Because, you know, you're not going to be just like hanging around, you know, playing harps in the clouds, right? That's not going to happen. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, and his servants will serve him. You will have meaningful work to do that will fire you up and charge you up for all of eternity. And so <clears throat> that's event number, number six. And so I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm asking you the question, how does this hit you? How does this hit you? This idea that you are going to heaven and, and you're going to a place of power and authority and goodness and nobility how does this hit you? Well, I was, I was working one summer when I was in college at Elmbrook Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was my home church. And I was in Milwaukee trying to get a job at the Miller Brewing Company because they paid really well, and I was going to graduate school. I needed the money. But Elmbrook Church was a, was a two-week temporary job. And I was vacuuming the carpets on Monday after the church service on Sunday, and I saw a book called The Future Life by Rene Posh. 
And he described for me, for the first time, this concept of the judgment seat of Christ and rewards in heaven. And pretty soon I was sitting on one of the chairs, and then I was kneeling at one of the chairs, blown away and amazed by what God had in store for me as a believer. And then I was on my face thinking, God, what I am passionate about is winning reward at the judgment seat of Christ for your glory. Lord, show me. How is, how is that done? I, I, I want to know how to do this. How does it hit you? Well, I know from talking to people that some people, it's really hard because they, they think, I don't, I don't want Jesus to look at my life. Like there's so much shame and badness there. I don't want him to go over everything with a fine-tooth comb. I don't want that. If that's your response, I just want to gently say, you don't know God's love. You don't know his love. Because your shame and your badness was put away permanently on the cross. There's no more shame for you. God's not going to look at you with any shame. Jesus already took on that shame, and it was cleansed permanently. So when he looks at your life, he's looking at it not from the standpoint of pointing out the shame, but pointing out those things that are good that can be rewarded. I, I find that other people don't like this concept of the judgment seat of Christ because they they're just struggle with competition and comparison. And so they, they think, great, you know, I'm going to get rewarded at one level, but probably everybody else is going to have a better resurrection body than I do. They're going to have more rewards than I have. And I'm going to be on Facebook for all of eternity thinking, why did they get a better body than I did? And why do they have more rewards than I do? Wait, I, I deserve more rewards. I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to write back, I deserved more. That's, not, that's never going to happen in heaven. There's never going to be a sense of competition and comparison in heaven. When you get your reward, that reward will be used for worship of the God of the universe. And if somebody has more reward than you are, than, than you have, you're going to be going, thank you, God, for how this person served you and glorified you without one shred of competition and comparison. So that's, that's the event, the judgment seat of Christ. Let's now look at the evaluation. How are we going to be evaluated? Well, each one of us will be evaluated based upon what we did from salvation to heaven and why. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. We start in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and somebody else is building upon it. We, we know what this was like for Paul because Paul goes into the city of Corinth knowing nobody. I imagine him going into the city square. He walks around and he says, oh, there's a tent maker there. It's a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm Paul. I too am a tent maker. I sometimes wonder if, if Paul walked around maybe with a few of the tools of his trade. I don't, I don't know that for sure if he did, but I, I kind of wonder about, wonder about that. Uh, and Paul says to Priscilla and Aquila, do you need any help? They say, yeah, we do. Business is booming. We need help. So Paul is, is employed by Priscilla and Aquila. He probably stays at their house because there's no Marriott courtyard in Corinth at the time. And so pretty soon Paul leads Priscilla and Aquila to Christ. They now have a church of three. 
They lead more people to Christ. The church begins to grow. And now you've got a thriving church in Corinth. Paul is there for 18 months, thriving church right next to the local synagogue. And so there, there's Paul. There's Corinth again. There's Paul in Corinth working away, planting a church, laying the foundation for the church at Corinth. Now he talks about, about building on the foundation. Let each person take care about how he builds upon the foundation. What foundation? Well, the foundation of this movement, this local church that was being developed in Corinth. God let Paul establish it. Now now people are going to build upon the foundation. Now he tells you how you build on the foundation. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with wood, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. He starts by telling us that we need to be intentional about our service. He says, take care of how you build. If you're going to serve on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, in a local church, you've got to be intentional about how you serve. You can build or serve the church with gold, silver, and precious stones, or you can serve with wood, hay, or straw. Well, let's, let's, let's think, think about this. Here's the first set of materials. Gold, silver, precious stones. The thing we know about those is they're durable. They last. To build with these things means I serve out of love. It means I serve empowered by the Spirit. It means I serve for the glory of Christ. It means I serve without necessarily demanding recognition. It means I serve without feeling entitled. It means I serve for the genuine good of the other. Sometimes I serve with a genuine spirit of sacrifice. That's to serve with gold, silver, and precious stones. On the other hand, you can serve with wood, hay, and stubble or straw. That means I don't serve in the power of the Spirit. I don't serve out of love for others. I don't serve, I I do serve for my own recognition. Sometimes I work real hard in the power of the flesh. Sometimes I demand a sense of recognition and entitlement. Sometimes I serve my own good. Or maybe I don't serve at all because I don't want to serve because that's just not my my thing. So we have two dramatically different ways of thinking about serving. And Paul says, take care. Be intentional about the kind of service you render. Some service is really good. Gold, silver, precious stones. Other service might look good on the outside, but, but it's not going to last. It's not going to be the kind of service that is a rewardable event. All right? So how do we, how do, how do we know when this is all going to take place, this, this evaluation? Well, Paul says, the day will disclose it. Now, what he's talking about is the, generally is the day of the Lord, of which a portion of the day of the Lord is your appointment with Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. The day will disclose the quality of your service. It will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as through fire. Wow, that that's, sounds like it's incredibly serious. You know, remember, he's not evaluating sins. He's evaluating service. 
and he's evaluating what we did from salvation to heaven. Did we serve? Did, how did we serve? With what attitude did we serve? And if Jesus sees anything worthy of reward, we get that reward. Now, maybe you can think about it this way. You know how um, sometimes you can have a voice-activated recorder? You know, if you've got this a voice-activated recorder, as long as you're silent, nothing records. But as soon as you start talking, the circuitry in the recorder springs to life and it records what you're saying. Maybe rewards is a little bit like that. Maybe as, as I'm operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, the reward calculator comes to life and it records those things I did in the power of the Spirit. But then, you know, if I don't serve or if I serve with the wrong motives, it cuts off. Sometimes I think about this with regard to Alexa or Siri. Sometimes I have, I have talked about the world series and Siri thinks I'm talking to her. And so she fires up and says, I did not understand that. I, I've got a British Siri right now. So I did, I did not understand that. You know, that that's bothers me. Like, okay, so you were listening to everything I was saying, hoping that I would say your name. Maybe rewards is a little bit like that. As I'm operating in the spirit, as I'm serving sacrificially, as I'm serving with a good attitude, I am doing gold, silver, and precious stones style service. That's being recorded. But the minute it's wood, hay, stubble style service, that recording is not being made. And when Jesus evaluates my works, he plays it. And maybe, maybe it's five minutes long. Maybe it's 25 years long. Maybe it's two minutes long. Maybe it's five. I, I don't know. But we're rewarded for those things that we have done that are, that are good. Now, here's a really cool thing. He is not going to compare you with somebody else. He's not going to say, okay, Rod, in this reward thing, I'm going to compare you with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Try that on for size. I'm going to, Rod, I'm going to reward you as compared to Mother Teresa. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do very well then. He's not going to do that. He's not going to compare you to somebody who's, who's amazing. He's going to pair you, compare you to you. How are you gifted? How are you wired? What opportunities did you have? What is your personality like? He's, gonna, he's going to reward you based upon who you are and the capacity, the capacity that, you, that you have. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful statement in mere Christianity. I'm going to bungle the statement. But what he essentially sa says is that maybe some people have as their capacity the ability to show kindness to a cat. Okay, that's fine. That is a rewardable event in heaven because that's what they had the capacity to do. That raises another question. What's the outcome for those with minimal to no reward? Well, this says he will be saved, but only as through fire. You know, there was a, um, there's Alexa, sorry. Um, that was a, a picture of a house that was destroyed in the wildfires in California. Now, I, I saw a bunch of those, of those pictures, and the stories that go with these pictures are heartrending. People who realize they had only minutes to rush out of their house and drive away while the fires were engulfing their entire block. 
Now, if you were somebody who had your house burned up in the fire, but your whole family was saved, how would you feel? Thank you, Lord, that our family was saved, even though our house was destroyed. Imagine that um, it's on a, it's a Sunday night, and uh, somebody's driving down the street, 9 o'clock at night, and uh, you, you're in bed because you got an early morning next morning. Somebody driving down the street says, their house is on fire. i got to warn them. So they knock on your door. They knock on your door. Your house is on fire. And the person, you know, you, you realize, uh, we, we got to get out right now. We don't have time to pack stuff up. It's all hot downstairs. we got to jump out the window. So you jump out the window, and there's your family standing in the yard seeing your, your house burned down. And yet, and yet you were saved. Are you going to go, darn, man, I wish I had saved that. No, your, your, your family is safe. So what Paul, Paul is saying is, he's saying, some are, are going to receive small reward, but they will be saved and be incredibly grateful for it. Take the thief on the cross. He comes to Christ at the very last minute. How much time has he had to store up a reward? Not much time. Not much time. Is he, is he thanking God that he's in heaven? Of course he is. Of course he is. Now, that leads to one more, one more lingering question. How stringent will Jesus be when we stand before his judgment seat? Now, that's what, the fear a lot of people have. How stringent will he be? And could, can, I, can I make him less stringent? Maybe. Maybe. Think about what James says here. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. For judgment without mercy will be shown to anybody who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is it possible that if you have been a merciful person throughout your life, that you will find increased mercy from Jesus at the judgment seat? And is it possible that if you have been a an unmerciful Christian, and there are a lot of them out there, that the judgment that Jesus has on you will be more stringent than the judgment seat? I think it's entirely possible based upon these two scriptures. Now, let's look at the outcome. What kind of rewards might we receive in heaven? Well, um, I'm not going to give you all of them, but I want to give you some of them because these are, these are really amazing. The first type of rule, t- type of reward is that you will rule with Christ. Some of you don't have aspirations for leadership, but I want to I encourage you to develop aspirations for leading with Jesus in heaven. This is what Paul says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. The idea is that I can be a leader with Jesus in heaven, leading in his stead, leading in his place, doing something significant that advances his cause for all eternity. That would be cool. That would be cool. But he ups the ante here uh, in Luke 19, 17. Uh, in a parable, Jesus is saying, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little. You will have authority over 10 cities. Well, that tells you something. Each of those cities presumably will have somebody leading in Jesus' stead. But now here's an opportunity to lead at a higher level, leading a series of cities. How cool would that be? 
leading in Jesus' place, advancing his kingdom. He ups it even more. Revelation 2, 26, the one who overcome, who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give him authority over nations. Whoa. I can reign, I can rule over cities, or I can rule over an entire nation. What this, what this tells you is that the possibility for leading with Jesus is it's robust and amazing. And if you, if you live in such a way that you receive reward, it's possible that you will rule with Christ. That's one type of reward. Here's another type of reward. You'll receive recognition from Christ. 1 Peter 5 verse 4 is addressing elders of local churches specifically, but by way of application, I think he's also addressing anybody else who would exercise spiritual leadership. And what he's saying is when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. There is reward for people who shoulder spiritual leadership, even if it's leading in the nursery at our church, even if it's leading the third through fifth graders at our church or leading the youth in our church. There's reward for people who shoulder the load of spiritual leadership. Maybe you're a one-on-one disciple maker and you're shepherding people as a disciple maker. There's reward for that. Maybe you're, you're teaching a class at a school. It could be a Christian school or a public school or a university like Josh. If you are shepherding people as an, as an academic, there's reward for that. Um, a third type, heavenly treasure. Go back to Jesus. Don't store up treasures on earth, but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Remember that, that pallet of stuff the Navy SEAL got? That's waiting for you. Because of your financial gifts, because of the way you've used your time, because of the way that you've used your material possessions, you will have a stack of stuff in heaven waiting for you to use, perfectly suited to your resurrection body, that you will use to serve Jesus for all of eternity. Look, there's a lot of people who are so focused on the present, they never stop to think about eternity. And the goal is that we would think powerfully about both. Paul said, set your minds on things above. That means we learn to be highly specific about what heaven is like so that we build up an appetite for what can be in heaven. We also have to live very powerfully upon this earth, living effectively because salvation begins now doesn't come when, we are, when we're in heaven. It starts now and continues there. But we've got to be really uh, doing well in both places with, with, with our mind. And then here's a fourth type, intense joy for facilitating transformation. If you have had any influence in somebody else's life, you will be rewarded for that in heaven. Here's what Paul says. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? See, it's possible that you will arrive into heaven and there will be people around and you'll go, Jesus, who are those people? Well, they're the people you influence throughout your life. I don't know half of them. Yeah, you had influence that you never knew was there and I'm rewarding you for that influence. What a privilege. Now, Let's look at some specific takeaways. Three, three ideas, very briefly. 
First takeaway is to use your imagination. When Paul said, set your minds on things above, that command, by definition, requires you to use your imagination. When Paul talks about the resurrection body in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, that, by definition, requires that you use your imagination. What would that be like? What would it be like for me to stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, with a resurrection body that could ski better than anybody in the Olympics? What would that be like? And cultivate a taste for that. Cultivate a desire to have Jesus say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the joy of your salvation. And by the way, there's your treasure that you stored up through the life that you lived. I mean, it's important that we use our imagination in these things. Imaginative reading of the Scriptures is what the Holy Spirit loves to birth in people who are growing spiritually. Here's a second takeaway. Tap into desire. You have a desire for recognition. All of you do. You have a desire for financial enrichment. At some level, all of us do. You have a desire to see a better future. All of us do. So tap into that desire and say, okay, Lord, what I really want is I want that which will remain forever. I I want that reward that will remain forever. The stuff that I have here on this earth is going to perish with my passing. The stuff that I've stored up in heaven, I've got forever. Here's a third very practical takeaway, and that is check out the opportunities. So we have out in the atrium, we have uh, some ministry tables out in the atrium that just kind of highlight opportunities that we have for service within this local church. And what I really invite you to do is check out those opportunities. You know, you could look at opportunities like, okay, the church wants me to serve. They need me to serve. People aren't stepping up. Got to happen. That's not our heart. Our heart is that service is good for you because you one day will have the opportunity to get rewarded for the service that you do on this earth. We want to create those opportunities because it's good for you and it's good for all of us as we strive to advance the cause of Christ within our city. You know, what I I love about this idea of rewards is that when I stand before Jesus at the end of my days, he's going to say good things to me. He's going to say those same things to you. 